Hello. Hello, beautiful. How are you? Fine. Hey, everybody. Welcome to our mini cast on Breaking Bad. I'm Blue Gal. This is Drift Glass. Hello, everyone. And How are you? Thank you so much for all the great feedback to these episodes. We're so glad to do them, and mm-hmm. we're glad uh, that you're wanting to listen. So thank you. Before we begin, yeah. this podcast, remember, goes out to imaginary friend of the podcast, Patton Oswalt. <laughs> Close personal imaginary friend of mine, Patton Oswalt. Yeah, he, he indicated on the Twitter that he might very well be unable to watch the last two episodes due to actual physical Breaking Bad stress freakout. That was just, what if I can't watch it? What if it's just, I can't do this? It's just too stressful and oh, too much anxiety. Yeah, it was really hard to watch this week. So Yeah, and um, so for him, I'm going to explain it to him, but in such a way that drains all life intention out of it. <laughs> Just flattens it right out. Imagine I'm David Brooks reading a phone book. <laughs> David Brooks reading a phone book from a town you've never heard of. <laughs> so there's there no possible. Yeah. yeah. All stirring oatmeal. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's, it's too, a little too warm. Let's add some ice. Oh, a little too cold. Yeah. Oh, it's tepid. I can't distinguish between my hand in the air or my hand in the oatmeal. There you go. That's perfect. <laughs> That's perfect. So this one's for you, Patton, my future imaginary best friend. Best friend ever. Uh-huh. Okay. We always preface these shows by saying that they contain spoilers to the last episode and the whole show. So if you're not into that, don't listen. Let me congratulate you, Drift Glass, because your predictions, particularly two of them from last week about what was going to happen on the next show, actually did come true almost to the letter. Yeah. Uh, Agent Gomez, who is Hank's partner, was killed. Gomi to his friends. Yeah. He was killed. Yep. Along with Hank. Yeah. And uh, Jesse is being held hostage at the end of the episode. So congratulations. Those are two predictions that uh, very definitely just came right through, right on the money. Yeah, and and about those two plot points, or three plot points, uh, Asak Schrader went down like a man. I I don't mean to be sexist, but he really, he, he, he went down with his boots on. He was offered a chance to beg for his life, almost. Um, um, Walt, Offered the crazy uh, Nazi man, Uncle Happy Uncle Jack, eighty million dollars to spare his brother-in-law. And uh, uh, Hank, actually, Hank was in a very, real similar situation many episodes ago when the when the cartel guys were coming from, and he'd been shot in the leg, and he was reaching for a weapon, but he he didn't make it this time. But Asak Schrader, I'm not I'm not Hank, you mf'er. I'm Asak Schrader, and yeah. you know, Walt, how could you be dumb enough not to know these guys already decided to kill me? Ten minutes ago, they decided to kill me. And yeah. and and his and their bodies go in the same hole where Walter's money had been buried, so it's just l- lost everything. Yep. Everything lost his lost the last moral line he said he'd never cross. Lost seven eighths of his fortune, and uh, and was really pissed, really broken hearted, and and uh, exhausted and furious. And so he did what Heisenberg always does. He blamed someone else. Yep. He blamed yep. Jesse. And he turned Jesse over. He handed them. Now, mind you, he was going out there to to, to kill Jesse because there was no way out for him. But uh, he handed him over to the Nazis. He did. And uh, and then they said, hey, you know what? Maybe it'd be more fun to torture him. And <laughs> well, that, let's, let's be clear whose idea that was. That was yeah. Todd's idea. That was Todd. Hi, Todd. You and you have a nickname for Todd. I, I do have a <laughs> I have a nickname for Todd. It's Opie Lannister. Yeah. <laughs> Which is just perfect. So true. He is Opie Lannister, the redheaded torturer. (laughs) Yeah. He's a sociopath. Yeah. And he's a happy, cheerful, cheerful little freckled redheaded. After we go down to the fishing hole, I'll come back and torture him until he dies. Yeah. 
and he's easily one of the most terrifying characters on that show. He's, you know, if you're very lucky, you'll you'll only have met a few of these characters. But if you ever meet Todd, run the other direction, run the other way. <laughs> he's really an awful person. Because Todd is an awful, awful person. He's, but yeah, yes, and Jesse has been uh, consigned. Je- Jesse now lives in hell. Jesse has uh, the same fate uh, that uh, awaited them earlier. Um, Jesse's now a prisoner. He's now uh, been tortured, thrown in a pit. And, and, I, and I did get that Opie Lannister in part from a very smart Twitter feed that said that uh, Jesse is uh, Jesse Greyjoy. Yeah. So you yeah, know, he, we're, he we're crossing the streams <laughs> with Breaking Bad and Game of Thrones. And there were a lot of comparisons. Yeah, yeah. An awful lot of comparisons. It's uh, Jesse has been literally consigned to a pit in hell. And uh, now you're dealing with the absolute worst human beings on earth. You're dealing with actual white supremacist uh, Nazis. Nazis. And Jesse has been handed over to them and he is now their property and he's now their slave. And he has been tortured and half his face has been practically beaten off. And he's been obviously hurt really bad. And he's been hooked up to a dog run in a lab and it's been made clear that this is your life from now on. Mm-hmm. And a picture of his ex-girlfriend and her son have been pinned to the wall to remind him that if you cross us, we'll kill everyone who loves you. Gosh. Now, I think it is likely that since Jesse has been mentored by the evil Walter White, by the evil Heisenberg, mm-hmm. he will he will learn – because this happened before. Their lives were threatened before yep. by Gus. Yep. Gus dragged Walter into the desert and put a hood on his head. Which scared the crap out of him. But and wh- and it was their talent and their ability to make this meth, yeah. this special blue meth. And and as I've said to you this week, the color blue is the MacGuffin of the story. It absolutely is. Yeah. And yeah, the only way to make blue meth. And the only people on earth who can make this particular special pure blue meth are Walter White and Jesse Pinkman. Mm-hmm. It's the only and Pinkman White and Blue. I mean, you know. Yes, there you go. That's been done before. But, <laughs> And there's a lot of people out there uh, in the wings we've not met before who are rather insistent that the quality be high and rather insistent that it be blue. Mm -hmm. And people have been slaughtered in large numbers for being unable to deliver the blue meth, the Heisenberg blue meth. And there's only two people on earth who can make it. So we've seen Walter dragged to the desert before his life and family threatened. Yep. And Walter was smart enough to say to the person who had, had a gun to his head and was threatening his family, you need me. Yep. You you would have killed me already if you didn't need me. You well, need- and I think it's clear that the reason that photograph is up on the wall of Jesse's ex-girlfriend and the son is that they are aware that Jesse doesn't really care if he dies. I mean, yep. Jesse Jesse's life to him is not worth as much as... You know, the child's life is worth yeah. everything to, to Jesse. So Jesse, remember, had spent a couple of episodes ago riding around town, tossing money out, out the window, yes. crying. Yeah. He's and he went to the cops and he ratted his, you know, his partner out. And he, he's he's lost. He's he's a mess. And but the one thing Heisenberg taught him was, however many guns the other guys have, you have the one indispensable non-transferable skill set that they need therefore you have the power mm-hmm. and you can barter with that you if as long as they want th- what we make and as long as you're the only source you can leverage that you can make people do what you want and i i, I predict jesse will figure that out in some way it will manifest itself in some way uh 
talk to me for a minute about uh, Jane and the way Walter hurts Jesse so oh, badly. Oh, man. Yeah. The, after everyone has been killed and after Walter has just collapsed, he's mm-hmm. now just hollowed out because his, his brother-in-law has been murdered in front of him. Uh, the, the moral line he said he would never cross. And, and, and again, Hank doesn't barter for his life. Hank says, do what you got to do. You're a monster. You're a drug dealer. Fuck well, you. Well, he understands the Nazis as killers Absolutely. far, far better than Walt does. And he knows that he understands them better. And he dies as ASAC Schrader. He dies as a DEA cop. Mm-hmm. And Walter is the guy who begs and snivels and promises and whatever I have to do to save my own life and my family sometimes is what I'll do. And uh, so – Walter has seen the last his last moral line obliterated by his own actions. Yep. And since he can't take the blame for it, since he's incapable of 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 accepting responsibility for what he does, he blames Jesse. And he Obviously. hurts Jesse, and not only by giving him over to the Nazis and torturing him, but by explaining that he watched Jane die. He, yeah. And he and, walks up to him while he's in custody, and he yeah. and Jesse's still fighting back. And he goes, "I I watched her die. I could have saved her. The love of your life, I could have saved her, but I watched her choke on her own vomit. I was there, and I did yeah. nothing. And that's what kills him. That's what yeah. kills Jesse. That's what puts him in hell. And there's this quote I I recalled. I remembered from uh, the Usual Suspects, mm-hmm. from Verbal, Verbal, who asked the question, "How do you shoot the devil in the back? And what if you miss? Mm-hmm. And Jesse shot the devil in the back, and he missed." Yeah. And that's the lesson of Breaking Bad is don't miss. <laughs> don't ever miss. Don't because ever miss. They, you know, just shortly before the gunfight, uh, as you might recall, Jesse was smiling and happy. You know, yeah. the devil was in shackles. He'd spit in the devil's eye. Everything was going to go great. It was going to go great. And then it didn't go. And then something bad happened. Yeah. Um, so that was that was Walter's way of hurting him. And this is a, an episode all about doing the thing to the person you say you care about that is the most unforgivable thing mm-hmm. you could do because you're just fucking angry and you and you lash out and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the family dynamics and the backstories of the characters but keep that in mind that if you've ever had a fight with someone and I've had fights fights with people where I've interrupted the fight and said you realize you're about to say some things you can never take back are you sure you want to go there and uh, and the smell of burning bridges after that was was really a scare. <laughs> but this is an episode about really a really uh, tragic, angry, um, wounded people yeah. hurting each other brutally. Yeah. And um, and what, uh, anyway, we'll, we'll you want to talk... talk about the family dynamic, or do you want to talk about literature next? Um, I think I'd like to talk about the poem, the literature. Okay, and, and the the lovely writerly touches that you find in this story, because. This is the kind of thing that, since it's based on Percy Bysshe Shelley's poem. Yeah, the episode is. And we should name the episode, by the way. We yeah. do that at the beginning. The, the name is Ozymandias, uh-huh. which is a very, very famous poem by Shelley about um, a, a desert wasteland. You, you can look it up. It's a wonderful poem. And it's a poem that, if you've taken English, you've probably spent you know at least two weeks on it. Picking it apart and looking at it and, and understanding the historical context and all those things. It's a very powerful poem. And the English lit snob in me, <laughs> which I've successfully purged mostly from my from my uh, demeanor, really wants to overanalyze every little bit of this and say, see, the way the sun glints off the rocks over there, that's what he's trying to talk about Lapis Lazuli, which is another poem by Percy Shelley or <laughs> whatever. 
and lapis lazuli is blue. It's blue. And the meth is blue. See? See? <laughs> see? If you knew this shit like I do and were smart like me, and it turns out I'm wrong, and then I have to walk it all back, which is always, always hilarious. Uh, but there are actually some things in here that both are directly drawn from the poem on which it's based and which deliberately let you see writers constructing a story. And I don't mean that in a bad way. Um, I, I, their, their thumbs aren't all over it in the sense that they forced dialogue to come unnaturally out of people's mouths or they've created a plot device that only a writer could possibly create that if anybody picks up a cell phone or says, Hey, I know that guy, the whole story falls apart. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can see these lovely little writerly touches. The, the most interesting one was when Walter is rolling his barrel, his Sisyphus barrel mm -hmm. through the desert past his own pair of pants. Yep. From the very first episode. And hat tip to those that noticed that. I, we didn't notice yeah, it. The didn't first notice time it, but, it. But oh my goodness, didn't a bunch of, didn't a bunch of people. But um, the places where I noticed that, nobody mentioned that in Shelley's poem, there's a mention of uh, two trunkless legs in the desert. Wow. Uh, because it's about the, this empire, this emperor that has, uh, was so sure he would live forever that, that he built this magnificent edifice to his own grandeur. And this plaque about how you're, you're, you'll never forget me, how I'm, I am unforgettable. My name is Ozymandias. Look upon my works, ye mighty in despair. And of course, nothing is left of it. Nothing but sand and a couple of broken pieces of, of uh, marble. And, or granite. But that's, that is clearly um, a touch. Because it all takes place in the desert. And it all takes place in, 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 uh, as an empire is collapsing. And nobody will remember him. And there's two legless trunks. But there are these other little touches that the um, the the construction, the very beginning of the episode of of Walter White mm -hmm. in his underpants, yep. walking around for rehearsing a lie to tell a his lie wife. Lie to his wife, yes. And his wife packing up an ugly clown in a yeah. box. Yeah. On which she's going to make nine dollars on eBay. <laughs> eBay. Yeah. <laughs> and and she's yeah. standing next to, she's holding a phone and standing next to a, a set of knives. That you don't even notice yeah, at the beginning of it's the just, show. It's just stuff you buy at Target. Yeah. You know, it's what everybody's kitchen a sort of looks block, like. Yep. And then. <laughs> and at, everything gets turned then, well, on its head. It's yeah. this parallel construction. At the beginning, you see this very first tentative, awkward lie being constructed. And then at the very end, you see that the entire edifice of Heisenberg's um, universe of lies, the lies he's told everyone, and that, that, that collapsing like the House of Usher, just all around him. Everything is falling apart. Everything is failing. So the, from the first lie to the last lie, you see this hideous little clown being put in a box. And at the end of the episode, you see a crying clown that is Walter White, mm -hmm. um, who's now completely boxed in by his own circumstances. There's no way for him to get out. He's yeah. trapped. Yeah. Uh, you see the same phone and the same knives in, in this cheerful kitchen at the beginning with, with Holly Baby Holly's still, you know, in utero. Mm -hmm. They're talking about what, what it might be to name her. Wouldn't that be cool? And the and and towards the end of the episode, the same knives are now just heavy with menace, just mm -hmm. just terrifyingly menacing things that are, that used to be everyday items. And uh, and this dovetails very nicely into the story of the family dynamic. Yeah, talk about that a little the bit. The collapse of well. If you haven't been in a dysfunctional family, and neither one of us wants to telegraph our own personal histories or, no. or accuse anyone, 
in our own individual families of having this dynamic. But, but you've certainly, been near one. Everyone's been near one. Near one. Everyone's yeah. been near. Well, everyone's been near a bad fight between yeah. mom and dad yep. or mom and dad next door or where there's yelling. and Or the perfect family that yep. tries really, really hard and are scrubbed really hard. Mm -hmm. um, and everyone in the family is taught never talk about dad's drinking. Right. Never talk about the terrible family secret. Yep. And then one day... It all it, it spills apart. out into the driveway. Yes. And Literally. dad's old truck pushes mom's red car out into the street. <laughs> and he's grabbed and, the baby. Yes. And he's grabbed the baby and kidnapped the infant and everything's gone. And mom is screaming down the street, you know, mm -hmm. and you can't and hide the, the dysfunction in this family anymore. And the son, the the yeah, handicapped the son, son, the innocent son now has to defend mom. Yep. From dad, from dad and call the cops. And now the, the pretty suburban house with a pretty perfect family in it that everybody felt sorry for because it wasn't as sad about his cancer yeah. is now full of cops because yep. now it's now a there's thing. an amber alert because yeah. dad kidnapped the baby. Yes. And I'm not saying that's anyone's personal circumstances, but I am quite familiar with that dynamic. Well, And the reality of it, that's that's yeah. what really got to me about the issue. Uh, excuse me. That's what really got to me about the episode was here you have this blue frosting on the top of this cake that is meth and right. murder and Nazis and $8 million in the desert in barrels, $80, 80, million, 80 million in yeah. barrels of money buried in the desert and all these sort of fantastical things that are part of this show. And beneath that is this dense pound cake of human reality uh -huh. that all of us are familiar with. Mm -hmm. From families fighting and having drama and sisters loving each other and protecting each other and still hating each other. Mm -hmm. And you talked about earlier about what was Walt's dad like? What yeah. was Walter Sr. Sr. like? And mm -hmm. uh, the actress who uh, plays Marie, yeah. is Skylar's sister, talked on Talking Bad about, you know, these two women have had some history. Yes. With someone either abandoning or abusing either one or both of them to the point where they will protect each other at all costs. Well, but at the same time, there's so much suspicion and so much hatred underneath that. That's a very realistic sister relationship. The, the thing that impresses me about the, the, the many, many things that impress me about this show is first of all, that, that I always thought that, um, for example, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross is one of the most violent movies I've ever seen because it's emotionally violent. Yep. And and the emotional violence people do to each other in this show is is absolutely matched by the physical violence or, yep. or it might be worse. It's just so unbearable to watch these well, people. Before we make before we talk about breaking a story and sort of screenwriter craft uh -huh. and and make our predictions for next week, talk for a minute about Walter's phone call. Yeah. Because that, to me, I didn't recognize that character when he started yeah. talking to Skylar the way he was. Yeah. I thought, who is this guy? Yeah. It was really, yeah. it was stilted. It yeah. was, it was very um, stylized, almost Jimmy Cagney gangster mm -hmm. language mm -hmm. that although Walter knows he's a gangster and Walter at this point, when he makes his call to his home, he knows certain things. He knows he's never going to see his family again. Mm -hmm. He knows he is leaving town going to change his identity and he will never come back. He knows that his family is in big trouble. He knows, he knows the police are there and they're listening in because Walter Jr. has called them. So mm -hmm. that must be true. 
<clears throat> and so he constructs, uh, as angry and as as uh, as some of his language is, and I think as genuinely angry as he comes across, what he is doing is he is telegraphing to the one person who knows him best in the world that just play along. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you can see, Scott and I'm going Adler, to give you information that you need to have about Hank, uh-huh. about the fact that I'm gone, and the fact that I'm to blame. Yeah, yeah. You know, and he says it in this way that sounds like you know Cagney threatening someone mm-hmm. in a 1930s gangster movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you cross me, see, Edward G. Robinson. I meant to say, yeah, you should never cross me. You see, this is you know what happens to people that cross me. And, you know, you were always moralizing about how awful it was and how terrible it was. And you told me to stop. And I told you what would happen to you if you ever crossed me. And I how dare you ask me about how I make my money? I provide for this family. You've never appreciated me. And in doing so, and you told my son about this. How dare you tell my son about yeah, how? So now I, the son, is, we know, is totally <clears throat> innocent and, and the cops know he's not involved in any so, way. Yeah. So he is making up a brilliant piece of acting uh, because she just stands there and her face does all the acting. Mm -hmm. And And she says things like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) Uh, And he has to, because she has to trust him. She, and she has to just, you know, just bring the, you know, I just want my baby, just come home. Mm -hmm. And I, and he just says, I have things to do. Yeah. And the, the acting on both ends of the phone, the, the Brian Cranston being both characters at the same time, the guy who really is in, in the last analysis trying to protect his family from the terrible things he himself has done by saying, I did it all. I built it all. This is mine. It's my empire. I have, there's no one to blame but me, except he's bragging about it. Yep. Um, is just a lovely bit of, you know, finally throwing himself on the grenade that he built and that he, you know, throwing himself on the, uh, the, um, oh crap. What is it? The stuff that blew up Tuco's, Wow. Yeah, yeah. The mercury fulminate. He yep. thro- he finally throws himself on a bag of mercury fulminate. Probably too late. I mean, he has pretty much wrecked everybody around him and trapped them in his drama. But that phone call was really elegantly written and really well constructed to tell us everything we need to know about what's about to happen and what he's trying to accomplish um, without, while there are, cops in the room and his sister-in-law is listening in and his son is listening in and he's trying to sort of he's trying to take away everyone's pain yep. as much as he can take as much blame as he can on himself um i've noticed that in this show nobody ever goes to church <laughs> anyway just a, a passing observation um but I think that, it would be just too much yeah to try to set a scene in a church you know no, it just but... nobody prays yeah, there there are no Bibles. There's no yeah. there's no mention of of faith at all, mm. which is probably a sub, different well, subject for a show. It's it's Dante. I mean, you know, yeah. oh yeah, this is this is the story of hell. It's not the story where there is any heaven. So it just is the slip and, right down. And everybody is falling into hell except for the Nazis because they're they they work there. They work there. They're That's their job. To yeah. be there. We're staff. Uh-huh. Yeah, <laughs> that's that old joke about. Your staff now, yeah. But you can uh, call me Toby. We're we're running out of time. Okay. Um, we'll have to talk about breaking a story next week, but t- let's talk about predictions. Yeah. Because yeah. you you still think I think everything still fits into the into the mode of the ricin that Walt retrieves from his house. Yep. Uh, being uh, used against the people that are kidnapping Jesse. 
Yeah. I think that that still very much fits the story. And ricin is what you kill people with. You don't yeah. use it to threaten them. You use it yeah. to kill them quietly. Yep. The, uh, the magical... You can hide it. I mean, it's in a cigarette, so you can actually either give it to Jesse. I mean, there would be a very easy way to just offer him a cigarette. <laughs> well, uh, it's not a cigarette anymore. It's a little glass vial. Oh, okay. Well, he could hide it in another. He could hide it anywhere. Yeah, I mean, but but it's something you put in food or you inhale yeah, or something yeah, like that. Yeah. Uh, but clearly, Walter has to has to. He's delivered he's this the, somewhere. Well, yeah. first of all, he's not Walter anymore. So let's next week yeah. is is the uh, appearance of the reappearance of Mr. Lambert. Yep. Who has uh, bacon on his pancakes, spelling out. The number that he is. 52, I think. 52, yeah. And yeah. Mr. Lambert is the assumed identity of, of Walter White, who is now as our Flash. And the the genius of using Flash forwards as mm-hmm. almost another character in the story. Yeah. To yeah. just create this unbearable tension that you know this guy's going to survive long enough to leave town, grow a beard, or, or get a beard and come back. Um, so that informs every other guess you make about what's about to happen, which is which is done just right, just the right measure. But uh, the one place that the person who just spent a fortune to have an identity wiped clean and moved forever away should never go is back to Albuquerque, New Mexico. And that's where he ends up. So obviously something incredibly powerful has drawn him back, probably a family threat or some other threat. And I'm sure that the um, good people at Magical Electromotive, at least the division, <laughs> that the meth division, yeah. Um, are into some very scary people uh, to deliver. And there's only two people on earth, as we've mentioned, who can deliver the product that they want. And one of them is in a, in, in, J, in prison, is a slave, and one of them is Walter. Yep. And so someone's going to force him to do that which he never wanted to do, which is come back home. And it's probably to save Jesse. I'm guessing Jesse, again, will turn into Heisenberg and learn how to use his knowledge to leverage his situation and improve his situation. And uh, and and I'm guessing some some people are going to go to jail. I still am worried that Walter Jr. is not going to survive this. Yep. I'm yep. worried that Skylar ain't going to survive it. Yep. Um, a lot. I think I think that Todd is going to get his heart broken by Lydia in yes. a really ugly, bad way. Yes. Either he's going to be forced to kill her, which will break his heart. Yes. Uh, and he'll finally have some remorse for the first time in his life for killing someone. <laughs> or Uncle Jack's gonna give Killer. it to him as yeah. present. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Here, Todd, yeah. your first, your first lady. Yeah, there's a lady for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, that's not gonna end well. <laughs> she's she's perfectly willing to have lots and lots of people kill as long as she doesn't have to look at the bodies. Right. She can just hide her, you mm-hmm. know. And he's willing to walk her through with her eyes covered. Sure. So. In, in her short skirt and her long jacket. <laughs> Just she's like there. the cake song. Just like the cakes. And she's that woman. She, she really is. She's trading her MG it. for a white Chrysler LeBaron. <laughs> sure, sure is. So that. Uh, yeah. I think next that's, week, just, that's a lot of predictions. Next week. You know, what is, somebody's, how does the song go? Somebody's going to emergency. Somebody's going to jail. Yep. Um, which is a song they use on uh, Homicide. <laughs> yep. Because Homicide has a good soundtrack, too. But. I am uh, in awe of Vince Gilligan's writing skills. Next week, we'll talk about um, how they do the construction of the story, how you break a story, according to Vince Gilligan, and the many writing classes I took over the years and have facilitated over the years on screenwriting, playwriting, the difference between writing for um, episodic television, where there's a long plot, or a movie that's over and done, 
you know what you need to do, Drift Glass? You need uh, to stay up until 2 in the morning this morning and write that post. I do, don't I? Because <laughs> the one thing I have too much of is sleep. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. And thanks for all the feedback and nice emails you've sent us about these mini uh, episodes. We're glad to do them. Yeah, they're fun. And if you have any comments, you can send them to us at proleftpodcast at gmail.com. I, I do have one bit of advice. Just for everyone who's and 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 Patton Oswald, you're welcome. <laughs> um, I do have one piece of advice. If you are time traveling back to the night this episode was broadcast, mm-hmm. um, don't watch the newsroom right after it. No, because no. It'll oh my god, the bad taste in your mouth with happy story puppy time. What a what <laughs> whiplash one gets. Yep. yep. And uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Thank God All I right. had a bottle of whiskey handy because I had to wash that out of my mouth. Amen. Amen, baby. All right. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye.